0: So we have been looking at nine parables of Jesus over the last couple of weeks. We covered six of those parables. Uh, We've looked at the parable of the sower. This is the beginning of Jesus' teaching in parables, and it's covered in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We also saw the parable of the wheat and the tares, the parable of the lampstand, the parable of the growing seed, the parable of the mustard seed. And the parable of leaven. Today we're going to look at the last three of the nine, which are the parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the pearl of great price, and the parable of the dragnets. And these last three are only found in Matthew's gospel, so you can go there to Matthew chapter 13. You'll be in the majority of our teaching before Jesus taught these last three parables. He gave an explanation. He's done it twice now. Once in Matthew chapter 13, earlier on in the text, the disciples asked him, why did you change your teaching style? They noticed the difference. And when they were in private, they asked the Lord, what's up? (laughs) Why the change? And then here he gives further explanation of why he began to teach in parables. And so today we're going to look at three more parables of Jesus. Simple title. It's Lesson 36 of our chronological journey through the Gospels. And we're going to see why Jesus spoke in parables in Matthew 13, verses 34 and 35. The parable of the wheat and the tares explained. So we looked at this parable last week. I'll review it for us. But Jesus gives the explanation in Matthew 13, verses 36 through 43. Then the parable of the hidden treasure, verse 44. The parable of the pearl of great price, verses 45 and 46. The parable of the dragnets, 47 through 52. And then over in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, we'll look at Jesus being rejected at Nazareth. And that's also found in Matthew 13 but I thought since we're going to be in Matthew 13 for most of the message I might as well give Mark some time here and we'll look at it from Mark's point of view so why parables Matthew 13 verses 34 and 35 Jesus said all these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables and without a parable he did not speak to them that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth with parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So the reasoning, as Matthew explains in verses 34 and 35, that Jesus spoke in parables was because the people's eyes, their ears, could not perceive or understand the things of the Lord. Their hearts had grown dull, so they could not hear with understanding. And so Jesus began to speak to them in parables. We know, according to the Synoptic Gospels, that there was a point to where the religious rulers went out and they plotted together how they might destroy Jesus. And it was after this time that Jesus began to speak to them in parables. So a majority of the religious rulers and many of the children of Israel had rejected Jesus as the Messiah so he no longer spoke plainly to them as in Matthew 13:13 13, 13, it tells us therefore i speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see hearing they do not hear nor do they understand now Matthew 13:13 13, 13 was a prophecy of Isaiah 44:18 That pretty much says that the people will see but do not perceive with their eyes, their sights. They will hear, but they actually don't hear with understanding. But this prophecy that Matthew refers to here in our text in verse 35 comes from Psalm 78, 2, where the psalmist declares, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. And so Matthew continues that with a further explanation saying, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And so Matthew takes it a little bit further, but the prophecy that he keys in on comes from Psalm 78.2. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Now Jesus explained to his disciples that As believers, you will be able to perceive, you will be able to hear. Now, it is not always easy to understand the parables. We've been looking at them for now. This is our third week. But scripture also reminds us for the unbeliever, the natural man, as Paul describes them in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. Nor can they know them because they are spiritually discerned. So one of the keys in understanding the parables is the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives to bring to remembrance, as Jesus promised us in the Gospel of John, that the Holy Spirit, when he would come, he would teach us all things. He would bring to remembrance those things which the Lord has spoken to us them, Jesus saying the things that I've spoken to you, my disciples, the work of the Holy Spirit to teach us, to bring to remembrance. They are spiritually discerned. So when coming to the word of God, whether we're looking at any passage, it could be a narrative, it could be poetry, it could be prophecy, it could be a parable. We should seek the Lord. We should first stop and ask the Lord, give us insight to this. Let your Holy Spirit give us understanding to this passage. There are some things that, well, sometimes I question things that I'm reading in Scripture. I don't have a clear understanding. And so I might just kind of put it in a file. Say, I got to get back to this. I got to look into this further. Sometimes I've discovered that what needs to take place is I have a lot of learning to do. And so the Lord grows me up in my faith. He helps me to understand Scripture. He gives me better capability of tying the Word of God together. And then things that I've questioned in the past of certain verses or portions of Scripture, they become clearer. But I also believe the importance of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, bringing revelation when at times it's not necessarily our studying that results in the revelation, but God just gives it to us. He gives us a clear understanding of His Word. God has not hidden, though it's been hidden from the unbelievers, it's not been hidden from us, and thus we should seek the Lord's face, that He may reveal the meaning of His Word, that we might be strengthened in our faith as we await the Lord's blessed return. The Bible tells us in Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it is impossible to please him because those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so we have to come to the Lord, not by faith or not by intellect. Sorry, I said that backwards, not by intellect, although we should use our intellect, but also by faith. The Lord has given us a mind. We should use that mind he has given us. But it's by faith that we are able to please God. It's by faith that we are able to seek him, to learn from him. So what's been hidden to the unbelieving world is not hidden to the Lord's church or should not be hidden to the Lord's church. Sometimes it's been throughout church history. Sometimes it's been the fault of, of the church itself we know historically we go way back when there was a time where the Word of God was not given to the parishioners it was written only in Latin it was only in Greek it was only in Hebrew only those who were learned were able to present the Word of God and so the people were um, forced To gain the understanding of God's word, not from reading it themselves, but what the priest or preachers were telling them that the word of God meant. And sometimes the priest or preachers got it wrong. And it was a battle with William Tyndale when he translated the word of God for that the Germans could read God's word for themselves and was put to death for doing it because the church hated the fact that people had the word of God. It was a battle when we find that those heroes of our faith fought long and hard that the Word of God would be given into our hands. So sometimes it's been the fault of the leaders of the church that have not allowed the Word of God to be freely given out to all who would desire to hear. At other times, it's the hearers. The Word of God is in their homes. The Bible is sitting somewhere in the house. It's perhaps very dusty. It hasn't been moved or looked at in years. Maybe it is a a flower press. That's where they put memories, and it's just a family memory book for them. But the Word is there, and it's by their neglect that they do not understand or perceive these things. But as believers, we are responsible to study, to show ourselves a proof, a worker worthy of the calling that the Lord has given to us. And so let's be those who desire to know the Lord of God, to seek the Lord, to have His Spirit come upon us, uh, ask the Lord, help us to understand, Lord. And so we move on. We see the parable of the wheat and the tares explained. Now we looked at this parable last week. And so I'm going to read the parable with no explanation. We'll let Jesus do that. We talked a little bit about it last week, but the parable is from verses three through nine of Matthew 13, verses three through nine. It says, then he spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, a sower went out to sow. Do I got that right? No, I don't. It is 24. I put the wrong address on there for me. That's the first parable, starting in verse 24. Then he spoke a parable, and he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the weeds and went his way. And when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and to gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barns. So Jesus explains this now that I got the right parable. And we're looking at the parable of the wheat and tares that Jesus gave us in Matthew 13, verses 24 Through 30, but Jesus explains the terrible parable, not a terrible parable, but a parable. (laughs) Verse 36, he had sent the multitude away and went to the house. His disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. So the disciples were curious about this one. He had spoke several parables to them. They asked about two of them. And he answered and said to them, verse 37, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. So he who sows the good seed is Jesus. Verse 38, the field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom, those who believe in God. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one, those who do not believe. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age the reapers are the angels therefore as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire so it will be at the end of the age verse 41 the son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that are ought, that offend and those who practice lawlessness and cast them into the furnace of fire and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth in verse 43 then the righteous shall shine forth as the sun of the kingdom of their father. who has, He who has an ear, let him hear. So often repeated phrase by Jesus. The condemnation of the parables that they could not understand because, well, the condemnation was that they had ears but they could not hear they had eyes they could not perceive here jesus is encouraging us that he who has an ear let him hear the parable of the sower refers to jesus who sowed forth the word of god the field representing the world and the good seed refers to those who believe in the lord the tares refers to the unbelievers the enemy referring to satan and the harvest represents the end of the age or the final judgment and the reapers being the angels we read in the Bible knowledge commentary about this. First, the parable of the Matthew 13 covers the period of time from Christ's work on the earth to the time of the judgment at his return, at his second coming. The angels will gather the wicked and throw them into judgment. This judgment will come against all those who offend and those who practice lawlessness. Those who do not believe, those who do not believe in Jesus Christ do not receive the Lord as their Savior. Once they are judged, these unbelievers will be cast into the furnace of fire or the lake of fire as it's referred to in the book of Revelation. At the end of the age, Revelation 20, 14 and 15 tells us that death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. But on the other hand, when the angels come in that final harvest, at the end of the age, the believers, described as the righteous, they will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. So the Lord gathers us. In the future, it will be all at once. We'll have those when the Lord comes at the rapture of his church, he'll take the believers all at once. Before that time, he takes us one by one. Sometimes maybe an accident or war or you know, several believers could die at a similar time. But he, in a sense, taking us one by one. But one day he's going to come for his church. At the... Second coming, he will judge his church. And so those who are wise, Daniel 12, 3, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. And so I said he would judge his church. It reminded me of the sheep and the goats, as Jesus talked about the end of the age when the king lined up his church Sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left hand. And reading from Matthew 25, 34 through 36, talking about the sheep. He said, come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For you were, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you... "...took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. But to the goats who were on his left hand, the king would say in Matthew 25:41 through 43, "...depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food." I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. I was naked, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. One day, Jesus will righteously judge between the wheat and the tares, between the sheep and the goats. And those who believe in Jesus has received the Lord Jesus as their Savior will be able to enter into the kingdom of the Father, God. But those who do not believe will be cast away into the lake of fire. The decision we make, whether to believe or not, is now. It has eternal consequences. There are some in the church, as I said earlier, sometimes the church gets it wrong. And there's part of the church today that says, if you don't make the right choice now while you're living on this earth, you'll be given a chance later in purgatory and you can buy your way out you can work your way out you can't buy your way out somebody has to do that for you according to their teachings but you can serve time and eventually get to heaven problem is the bible doesn't teach that it's a way to give maybe some people some comfort for their lost loved ones But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible is plain that the choices we make while we're living on this earth have eternal consequences. Today is the day of salvation, as the Lord says. I have hope that you have chosen wisely. So the parable of the hidden treasure, one verse. So I had said when we began the parables that parables can be like Proverbs. Very short snippet. This is one of those examples. But verse 44, the parable of the hidden treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. For the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has that he might buy the field. Now, at first glance, some have interpreted this parable as those having to give up everything that they might be saved. And over the last few weeks, last week I talked about expositional consistency. If you recall, that refers to uh, a consistency in Scripture, in the Bible, with God being the ultimate author. When a theme is introduced, often it will stay consistent, the meaning of that theme, throughout the Bible. And so when in the parables we see the seed, it it has now been told us twice in the parable of the sower and the parable of the wheat and the tares that the seed is the word of God. We've also learned twice that the sower is God or Jesus Christ. We've learned that the birds represent the devil. And so we have these things that are very consistent in the scripture. And once a theme is introduced, the Bible will stay consistent often, throughout the Bible about that theme. With this in mind, we need to know that we are saved by grace and not by works. And so when we look at it from the works aspect, in verse 44, it would seem that we have to sell all in order to buy our salvation. But we're saved by grace and not by works. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And truly, we sacrifice to follow Jesus. We are not to live as the world does. And even Peter would say and confess to the Lord Jesus in Matthew 19, 27, saying, See, we have left all to follow you. However, in Matthew 19, 23 through 30, the context of that, Jesus pointed out that those who would leave their house, their parents, brothers, wife, children for the sake of God's kingdom would receive many times more in the present and in the age to come eternal life. The Lord is speaking that in that passage that God would not be a debtor to anyone. We can't, my dad would often say, you cannot outgive God. He will not be a debtor to us. Whatever we might give up in this life for the work of the Lord, God will repay us a hundredfold. But while faith does mean that we live a disciplined, should live a disciplined life, counting as lost those things that we've gained to us in this world, we the things of the world, we count those things as lost. We gain Christ. That is the ultimate thing. But it's not by our righteousness that we are saved, but the righteousness of God that comes through faith in the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. In Philippians 3, 7 through 11, Paul talks about the things that he had thought that he had gained in his life. He said, but what things were gained to me? These I have counted as loss for Christ. Indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ." Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. and Might be found in him not having my own righteousness. Now, here's the key. Paul says that I've given up a lot. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He uh, was taught by Gamaliel. He was on track to be a leading teacher in Israel. But the Lord got a hold of his heart. He said, all those things, I count them as trash. He said, not to have my own righteousness. When he was living that Pharisaic life, it was all about his own righteousness. But once he found Christ, he said, not that I would be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection of the dead. The parable, to me, makes better sense if the field represents the world. The hidden treasure represents those who will come to faith in the world. Therefore, the man who found and hid the treasure sold all that he had to take possession of it, is that of Jesus Christ himself. In Hebrews 2, 1 and 2, it tells us, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him... Endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. While faith does speak of living a disciplined life, laying aside every weight and running with endurance, it is Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5:2 that we are to walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And so we may we never attempt to replace our works with God's grace. We need to stand always in the grace of Christ. So the parable of the great the pearl, pearl of great price Again, two verses this time, verses 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, like the parable of the hidden treasure, Christ, not us, is the merchant who sought and found and sold all that he had that he can redeem the church. And Luke 19, 10 tells us the Son of Man hath come to seek and to save that which is lost. Mark ten forty five, even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve, not to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. Now there is an old hymn from sixteen eighty three. This is an old hymn. It's called I Found a Pearl of Greatest Price. It was by John Mason. In the chorus, well, the beginning verse, so this is verse 1. I found the pearl of greatest price. My heart doth sing for joy. I said it was an old hymn. Doth, does, doeth, and sing I must. A Christ I have, oh, what a Christ I have. So in John Mason's hymn, it focuses on the various offices and characteristics of Christ, which is a good thing. That's I love hymns because they are often deep in theology. Our praise tongues, not so much. Hymns actually often teach us theology. Great is his faithfulness. There are great hymns that we have sung. But here, the author makes it appear that Christ is the pearl of great price, that instead of Jesus being the purchaser of our souls. And so, like the parable of the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price seems better fit if Jesus here is the merchant seeking beautiful soils. Now, pearls, who have found one great pearl of great price, the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's referring to the Lord who has redeemed us. He gave all on the cross that we might be redeemed. Titus two, thirteen and fourteen. Look to the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. Purifying for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So, another hymn that made me think of this one written in 1865. These are some oldies. Now, I don't remember singing the other hymn, I read it in a commentary. This one I remember singing when I was growing up Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left its crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus is the one who pays the price according to Scripture. So we do not have a works-based salvation, but a grace-based salvation. If we forget that, we are in trouble. Now, because we are saved, John would later on write, or James would later on write, saying, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Works should come. But faith comes through the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So one last parable in the parable of the dragnets or the nets. Verses 47 through 52. We'll look at verses 47 and 51. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew the net To shore, they sat down. They gathered the good into vessels. They threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the ninth and final parable. Jesus now using the sea and a dragnet and the fishing vessel to symbolize the harvest at the end of the age. Thankfully. Like in the parable of the sower, we find that the wheat and the tares, that Jesus explains this. There's the dividing, and thus the sea is the world. The creatures are the believers and unbelievers. The angel angels are the ones who come with their nets to gather in uh, the great catch at the end of the age. They separate the wicked from the just, and the wicked are cast into that furnace of fire. And there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. The just are brought into eternal life. Sometimes unbelievers will say, well, if I'm going to go to hell, at least I'll have all my friends with me. They think it's going to be party time. It's not. We read already from Revelation chapter 20 and verses 14 and 15 that Those who do not believe will be cast into the lake of fire. Death in Hades, death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. It will be eternal judgment. The fiery furnace, the lake of fire, will not be a place where parties are going on. It will be a place of eternal judgment. Revelation 21, 6 through 8 says... And he said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be as God and they shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, the liars, all liars, it says, shall have their part in the lake of fire, and brimstone, which is the second death. So Jesus goes on to speak about the treasure of God's word in 51 and 52. And Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? And the disciples responded, yes, Lord, we got it. Thank you. And he said, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out his treasures, things of new and old. Although the disciples said they understood, they still had a lot to learn, but maybe they just didn't want to, you know. It's like, man, if we keep telling him we don't get it, he's just going to think we're dumb, he'll choose 12 more. So, we got it, Lord. But Jesus knew. He knows. That's why he give, gave them the Holy Spirit. It's why he gives us the Holy Spirit, to be with us, to help us to have understanding. But he's preparing them to share the things that they were learning from him, having treasures of new and old. The old would refer to the prophecies of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, we would call it today. The new would be the revelation of Jesus Christ and the revelation of the Holy Spirit that became what we have today as the New Testament truths that they were learning from Jesus would learn from the Holy Spirit regarding the fulfillment of things previously written. As John would say in 1 John 2, verses 7 and 8, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning, an old commandment which the word which you have heard from the beginning, which is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you which things is true in Him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The old commandment, the old prophetic word, the Old Testament, those things which they'd heard from the beginning with the coming of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, they're learning to rightly divide the word of truth. They're gaining understanding. The Lord is saying, then with this understanding, don't hide it away in your house, but... As someone has a home and people come and visit and they begin to share the treasures of their house. And we had, Lily and I counted wrong for Thanksgiving. We counted several times. There was going to be 18 people there. They were 21. So we didn't have enough chairs for everybody. But we made do. But uh, one of my nieces, her son is playing guitar. So he was excited to come to a guitar player's house and he started pestering his dad. I heard him uh, talking about playing and I'm like, did you bring a guitar? And it's like, no, he was hoping he could play one of your guitars. I, I guess he thought I was my cousin who has like 50 guitars. I only have three. Two of them are here at the church. One at the house is an acoustic bass. That He's a guitar player. He knows nothing about bass. But I showed it to him. So let's go see my guitar. I let him pluck around on it a little bit. It was my treasure. I I revealed it for him, a treasure, an instrument. And then I showed him the record that our band had made. And my picture on the back of the album from 1985, where I was much younger looking, It should be at 25 years old. But these were treasures, things that we were sharing, or at least I was sharing with this young musician who's excited and getting very good at playing music. We should have that about the Word of God to, to share when the family comes together. Years ago, I remember that one of our nieces and it may have been one of the few times she'd ever been together. And this was when my mom was living, but had been with us at a Christmas Eve service uh, at our home. Not a service, but we were just together for Christmas Eve. And uh, we sang hymns, we read scripture, and we opened presents. But her Christmas has always been opening presents, lacking the singing hymns and reading scripture about the Nativity. But this is a custom that we've always had in our home, and we carry it on to this day and whoever gathers at our house on Christmas Eve. Uh, we may or may not sing hymns, often we do, but we're always going to read scripture. We're bringing out treasures for those who may not have heard. Well, I mentioned that from the one niece several years later, that was a memorable Christmas Eve service or service, time for her. It was something she had never experienced before the churchy side of the family she was being revealed to it's good for us to bring out those treasures it's this time of year that we can do those things if they're coming over to our house it's our house so they were expecting i said last year at christmas eve for the first time and i don't remember not doing it before why we didn't do it. We always hold hands when we pray, but last year for the very first time, um we just you know, Lily, myself, Kevin, Melissa, all the kids, we linked hands and the rest of my family is like looking on and saying, What's up with this? This is different. It's like, oh, it is? It's like we always do this. And so with twenty one people linking hands, it was, you know, let's go halfway around the house to do it, but we did it at Thanksgiving. So, bringing out those treasures, the old commandment, the word of God from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Jesus saying, Matthew five seventeen, do not think that I came to destroy the law, or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. The new commandment seems to pertain to both the love and light of Christ in our lives. The disciples had been given a greater understanding of God's Word and would be given even a greater understanding after Jesus' death and the empowering of the Holy Spirit upon their lives. Therefore, they were not to keep these truths hidden as a treasure within, but to share them with others. And so Colossians 3, verses 16 through 17 And we're going to stop the message here today, saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in the Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God The Father through Him. And may we be willing to share the things concerning the kingdom of heaven with others. I love that. What the Lord said about having that treasure, like a householder who's bringing out the treasures of old, kind of reminds me of some of those treasures I have now that I share with my grandchildren that maybe came from my parents or my grandparents, and to explain those treasures to them, how I came about to have them. Well, We should be doing that with the faith that we have in God, in Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you for this word that you have given us this day. These truths, then, have been found over the last three weeks, looking at nine parables that were given to us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, In Mark chapter 6 or 5, but Luke chapter 8, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have revealed these things to us. You've given them to us. But, Lord, not that we should hide these things in our hearts in the sense of never to reveal them to others, but that we should learn from them and that we should be willing to share the truths that we learn about you, about faith with others. Lord, help us to have the discipline. I know the parable of the pearl of great price, the parable of the treasure in the field. In one sense, it can speak of, Lord, our willingness to surrender all in following you. And, Lord, we should do that as followers of Christ. But we also understand, Lord, that there's no price that we could utterly pay to buy the salvation that you have afforded through us that comes not by our works, but through grace. So we thank you, Lord, that we are saved by grace. We thank you, Lord, that you did pay it all, and it's to all to you we owe. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.